0: So, uh, man, I'm pumped to be here with you guys tonight. I love Tuesday nights and I love being here with you. Uh, I wanted to start by sharing something I read the other day about Oprah, of all people. Uh, Oprah, uh, I'm not like a frequent viewer of her by any means, but uh, I'm not against her either, I suppose. Uh, But I was reading about uh, a thing that she did, uh, this is a couple years ago now, uh, at Stanford. She was talking to a group of college students. And uh, she said, hey, you know, uh, every time I have a celebrity guest on, every time I have some sort of influencer, every time I have some sort of uh, powerful person on my show, uh, they always have one question after we film. Get backstage, and, and there's always one question. She said that almost every guest that she's ever had on any of her shows asks her. Any guesses? What's the one question? Okay, I didn't hear any good ones. Are you rich? Yes, she is. Uh, no, no. She says without fail, every person that comes on her show asks her some version of this question. Was that okay? Was 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 that okay? Now, I'll admit that, that when I read that, there was a part of me that that's not the question that I expected, right? It's not what I thought that, that actors and, and, and musicians and influencers and business leaders and former presidents, that's not the question that I would have expected that, that these kinds of people would be burning to ask Oprah after filming an interview, right? Was that okay? And yet, when I, when I read it, there was something about that question, that resonated deeply with me. On one level, sure, it's, it's, they, they want to know, hey, the, the thing that I said, did I sound stupid or was it okay, right? Like, did I look okay? Was it, was it okay? Was whatever I did, whatever I said, was it okay? But on a deeper level, see, I think what they really wanted to know, and I think is this, why this connected with me so much, is what they really wanted to know is this. Am I enough? Am I enough? See, it's interesting to me that that Oprah's talking about all these kinds of people, right? These successful people, these influential people, these powerful people. A variety of backgrounds, a variety of beliefs, a variety of of incomes and and influence and culture. And yet she says there's one common denominator with all of them. The common denominator is that every single person struggles with that insecurity of wondering... Am I enough? Am I enough? Now, you've been around long enough probably at, on Tuesday nights to know that what I'm about to say is it's not just them, right? It's us. It's not just celebrities. It's not just influencers. It's not just the powerful people of the world. It's, it's us too, right? Right? So if you were at Veritas last week, you might remember that I, that I mentioned that, that I've been reading this book on uh, Gen Z and the big questions that, that Gen Z is asking. And more specifically, I mentioned some of the common responses that your generation is giving when asked about your identity. According to the research, at least in that book, 75 percent. Of Gen Z feels inadequate or not enough. 75% of Gen Z feels inadequate or not enough. So these authors in this book, they talk about doing all these uh, different interviews. They're they're talking to all sorts of people your age. They're they're doing all this research, whatever that even looks like. I don't know. And what they, and, and all these different things, they're asking the question over and over and over. How do you answer? How would you respond to the question? Who am I? Where are you looking for? What do you see as your identity? Three fourths, seventy five percent, respond with some version. Of this answer. I'm not blank enough. I'm not blank enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not accomplished enough. I'm not perfect enough. And they go on to say that that student by student, the specific adjective differs, but the feeling of not measuring up Well, that's universal. You can change the adjective. I'm not filling the blank, but the sentiment is the same. It's universal that we feel like we aren't enough. Except for this, this scene is haunting. You know, I'm watching it with my kids and I'm thinking I'm having this like existential moment, right? Like you hear this fictional character saying to her grandma, she's saying, look, I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? I'm never going to be good enough for you. I mean, truthfully, it's a haunting question. At least it was haunting for me when I saw it because it taps into something that I feel. My guess is, to some extent, it taps into something you feel. That feeling of being inadequate. That feeling of not measuring up. That feeling of not being good enough. We all feel that to some extent, and and when we feel that way, what it does is is for some of us, it sends us into kind of this spiral, this, this cycle of despair. But for others of us, when, when, when we feel that way, like we're not enough, like we don't measure up, like we're inadequate, it sends us into a much different cycle. It sends us in, into a, a cycle of, of trying to do more, of, of trying to say more, of, of trying to be more, so, so, so that maybe someday I won't feel like I feel right now, like I'm not enough. You see, the interesting thing about that, though, is that if the celebrities that Obra's talking about are any indication... That feeling that we all kind of feel, that sense that we all kind of have that we're not enough, it doesn't go away. Certainly not by trying any harder. One of the things that I love about the Bible is, uh, that's a hard shift, right? One of the things that I love about the Bible is that the more that you read the Bible, I don't know how long you've been reading the Bible, but the more that you read the Bible... The more that you get familiar with the characters, and the more that you get familiar with the characters in the Bible, the more you start to see yourself in them. You start to see that, that these characters, they're not just characters, they're not just fictional. So they're real people, and they have real issues that connect to, to my life and, and to your life, to our life. See, the, the Bible, the more that we get familiar with it, the more we realize that the real people in the Bible are a lot like us, that we aren't alone. You see, they have the same questions. They have the same insecurities, the same struggles. And as it turns out, they have that same feeling of not being enough. So I'm going to look at several different characters in the Bible. The first is a guy named Moses. Moses was a guy in the Old Testament. And the scene is this. In the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, is enslaved in Egypt. Egypt. They're under this harsh rule by the Egyptians, and and they cry out to God. They say, God, get us out of this. And God hears their cries. And he says, okay, I'm going to deliver my people, and I'm going to send this guy Moses to to Pharaoh. This is a conversation that God has with Moses. The Lord said to Moses, he says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, so what's happening here is, is God says, I hear you. I hear my people. I hear their cry. I see their pain. I see their suffering, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send you, Moses. Which seems like good news, right? Like if you're enslaved and you hear God say, I'm going to get you out, I'm going to rescue you, you would think Moses would be like, hey, fantastic, I love that. Except this is how he responds. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites from Egypt? And Moses says, who am I? Just a chapter later he says this. Uh, when, when God said to go to Pharaoh, Moses says this. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. You see, see what Moses is saying? You hear the, the insecurity. You hear that sense of inadequacy. God says, Moses, go. And Moses says, me? Nah, I'm not good enough. He's too afraid. I'm too inarticulate. I'm too slow of speech. I can't talk right. Not me. I'm not good enough. Or or think about a guy named Gideon in the book of Judges, a few books later in the Old Testament. Same kind of situation. Israel is kind of suffering under the oppression of a people group. This time it's the Midianites. And and similarly, God says, I'm going to do something about it. And so what he does is, He sends an angel to talk to Gideon to let Gideon know the good news that God's going to do something about it. This is a conversation we see an angel having with Gideon. The angel says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. See, go and and rescue, go and save your people out of Midian's hand. I'm gonna go, you're gonna go and do this. And and you would think again that that Gideon would be like, great, except, no, this is what he says. He says, Pardon me, my Lord. I don't know what's up with pardon me, but that's what they keep saying. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And so you've got God again saying, go, and and you've got a guy saying, me? No, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm too weak. My clan's the weakest. I'm the weakest in my family. Or then there's uh, uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. So uh, a few books later, uh, God speaks to Jeremiah. The very first chapter of Jeremiah, God says this to, to him. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So God comes to Jeremiah and says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And I knew the plans that I had for you, and I knew what you would be someday, and I knew where you would go and what you would say and how you would be used. I mean, imagine God saying that to you. How, what would you say to God? Well, this is what Jeremiah says to God, very next verse. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, you're in control, I know, but I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. And God says, You're going to go. I'm going to send you out. You're going to be a prophet to the nations, and you're going to bring people back to me. And Jeremiah says, me? I'm not experienced enough. I'm not old enough. I haven't lived life enough. I don't have enough skills. I can't talk. I'm, I'm too young. All right, let's go to the New Testament. Uh, Gospel of Luke. Biography of Jesus. Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Uh, there's a Roman centurion. He's a Roman soldier. And and the situation is this. He's got a friend who is really sick. He's dying. He's one of his good buddies. He's his servant, a close friend of this centurion. And he knows that Jesus is kind of around and, and doing the kinds of things that Jesus was doing. And so he sends his friends to go and talk to Jesus to see if Jesus would be willing to come and do something about his sick and dying friend, probably not thinking that Jesus would actually do it, except that's exactly what Jesus says he'll do. He says, yeah, okay, I'm coming. And and when the centurion finds out that Jesus is actually coming, he sends word to Jesus again, except this time, this is what he says. He says, Lord, Jesus, man, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. You see what he says? He says, "I'm not worthy to come to you, Jesus. I'm not worthy Jesus to have you in my space, in my house, in my vicinity. I'm not worthy enough." Last one, Gospel of Mark: Jesus is on his way to heal a little girl, little girls dying. And as Jesus is on his way to this little girl's house, crowds are pressing around. Crowds are following him. What's Jesus going to do at this point? Jesus' ministry is pretty public. People know where Jesus is, where he's going, what he's doing. And so you've got crowds of people everywhere around Jesus. And, And as Jesus is on his way to heal this guy's little girl... Out of nowhere, it's kind of a strange kind of interjection into the story. Out of nowhere, we're introduced to a woman, completely irrelevant to the, the man, completely irrelevant to the little girl. We've got a woman, and we're told that this woman's suffering. She's been subjected to, to some form of, of bleeding for the past 12 years. And she says that, that, that she's, she's used all the resources that she has, she's, she's seen all the doctors that there is to see, she's tried every home remedy that there is to, to heal her, to fix the problem, and none of it's working, it's just getting worse. And to make matters worse, because of her condition, under Jewish law, we can't get into it, but under Jewish law, suffice it to say, that she would have been considered unclean. And what that meant in that culture at that time is that she was untouchable. She was unacceptable. Which is why this is what she does. It says she came up behind Jesus in this crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I just get a corner of his jacket, if I just get a corner of his robe, I'll be healed. It just had to be a corner. It just had to be a little touch because she said, look, I'm not acceptable. I can't come before the face of Jesus. I'm unclean. And so just to summarize, this is what we have in that that little journey there. Moses wasn't adequate enough. Gideon wasn't strong enough. Jeremiah wasn't experienced enough. The centurion wasn't worthy enough. The woman wasn't acceptable enough. You see what it is? It's what those authors said earlier, right? The, the adjective differs. But the feeling is the same for them and for us. And it's this, that I'm, I'm just not enough. I'm just not enough. And so if that's true, if this is an idea that at least most of us to some extent, are struggling with, this sense of not being enough, then I think we've got to ask the question, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with this? Try to ignore it? Try to stuff it down, pretend like it's not there, only to let it bubble up later at some unopportune time? What do we do with that? What do we do with that sense of feeling inadequate, what do we do with that sense of, of not measuring up, of not being enough, of, 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 of feeling like I'm just not enough? Well, one response is, is what I'm calling the uh, Rachel Hollis response. Rachel Hollis, if you don't know her, it's okay. Uh, she is by no means a perfect person. Uh, if you know anything about her life, she's not a perfect person, but she is undoubtedly impressive. And so uh, my friend Annalyn Fraser uh, a, a couple years ago in a blog post for our church here, she, she wrote uh, about uh, Rachel Hollis and she summarized all the impressive things about her and I want to read it. It's a little bit long but this will give you a, a sense of Rachel Hollis at least as of a couple of years ago. Rachel Hollis overcame a dysfunctional family, her brother's suicide, an eating disorder. She started a high-level event planning business in L.A. with only a high school education, then another business, Chic Media, that has grown to be a multi-million dollar company. She's given birth to three boys, was a foster parent for a while, and eventually adopted a little girl. She boxes, runs marathons, lost a lot of weight, and has since kept it off. She drinks half her body weight in ounces of water every day, and kicked her addiction to diet coke. She gets eight hours of sleep a night, wakes up at five a.m., meditates, eats a healthy breakfast, journals her goals and the things she's thankful for all before the kids wake up. She's published five books, is a New York Times best-selling author. She travels all over the country for speaking engagements and book promotions. One more. She organizes a massive conference called Rise, and she has millions of followers on social media. I'm tired after reading that, aren't you? And what are you doing with your life? Just kidding. That's how I feel, right? But the reason I say that, the reason I, I, I share that, rather, is because what it does is it helps give you context, it helps, sets, uh, it, it helps set up Rachel Hollis's outlook. On life, that outlook that she writes on the very first page of one of her books, she says this She says, You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You see, what what Rachel Hollis does is she takes that feeling that we all feel of not being enough. She knows that we all feel it. She's felt it too. But she takes that feeling, and you know what she does? She says, here's the thing. That feeling, it's a lie. Don't believe it. Don't believe the lie that you're not enough. Because she says, here's the truth. You are enough. You are enough. The problem is that you believe that you aren't. The problem is that you believe that you're not enough. Now, I'll be honest, that sounds really good. That's really tempting for me to want to believe. I'm talking about me. I don't know about you, but that's tempting for me to want to believe. That I'm enough on my own. That me and only me, I'm the arbiter of my truth. I get to decide what makes me happy. I get to decide who I want to be. That I'm enough on my own. That sounds pretty good but here's a question here's a question if we're enough then why do we need god i think about that for a second if if you if you are enough on your own if we're enough on our own then why do we need god Well, I think the obvious answer is we don't, right? Not for anything significant anyway. If I'm enough, why do I need God? See, the danger of what Rachel Hollis is saying is that it's eerily similar to what the serpent said to the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. This is what happens. This is what the serpent is saying to the woman after God told them specifically not to do the thing he's getting ready to say. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from the, the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. See, God knows. He, he just knows that when you eat that fruit, you're not going to die. But what's going to happen is your eyes are going to be opened. You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. You see what what's the serpent there is is saying to the woman and By extension, the man. He said, look, you're not going to die. Go ahead and eat. Do whatever you want. You don't need God. You guys will be enough without God. That's a tempting message, right? It's tempting to want to be God. It's tempting to want to be enough without God. It's it's tempting to want to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. And that's what they do. They eat. God said not to, and they did it anyway. And what happens? Well, if you know the story, their rebellion, which our culture calls freedom, by the way, the Bible calls that rebellion. Their rebellion, it brings sin and destruction and death into the world. Their rebellion brings sin and death and destruction in the world. See, I want you to hear me say this. The enemy wants you to believe, wants to deceive you into thinking that that you can be enough, do enough, say enough apart from God. The enemy wants to deceive you into thinking that you can be enough apart from God because of this. He knows that if you believe that, it will eventually destroy you. That is exactly what the enemy wants for every single person here tonight. He wants to trick you into thinking that you're enough apart from God, that you don't need God. Because if you live that life for long enough, it will eventually, one way or another, destroy you. And I know that's intense. But that's the story of the Bible. It might not feel like it right now. Life might be pretty good. Life was probably pretty good for the man and the woman until death came to the garden. See, that's what Satan wants. He wants to deceive us into thinking that we're enough because it will destroy us if we embrace it. But that's exactly why God offers a better way. That's why God offers a better story. He's offering you and me, He's offering us a better identity. It's an identity built not on what, but on whose. It's an identity built not on what we do, but on whose we are. You see, finding our identity, we've been talking about finding our identity, finding our identity and what we do man, if we're honest, what does that do? It just leads, at least this is true for my life. When I find my identity in, in just, when it's solely in what I do, all that does for me is it leads me to be constantly insecure. When my identity is built upon what I do, I'm constantly insecure because you know what I'm doing most of the time? I'm looking around and comparing myself to other people. And then you know what happens when I compare myself to other people? I see things that other people have that I want, and I become all of a sudden discontent. I was having a pretty good day until I saw you have something that I wanted. I was having a pretty good day until I saw you doing something that I wanted to do. I was having a pretty good day until I saw you do something that I want to do better than how I could do it. Now I'm discontent. And you know what happens when I get discontent? Then I get, I start despairing. You just see this Bible, right? When I despair... Well, then I get depressed. See, that's what happens. When we find our identity and what we do, it just leads to that constant sense of insecurity, that, that comparison game, that discontentment game, that despair game, that depression game. It's not a game, it's a serious thing. That's why God has a better way. It's not what but whose. It's not what you do, but whose you are. Let that define you. I want to go back to those Bible characters that we read earlier, because to be honest, I only gave you half of the story. When I was going through all those things that they felt, I only gave you half of the story. So we started with Moses, and Moses said, uh, you know, who am I that I should go, God? Who am I? That I would go to Pharaoh and I would go to, to rescue Israel from Egypt. And this is what God says He says, It doesn't matter because I'll be with you. And Moses says, Well, you know what? Okay, that's fine, but here's the deal. I still have to do some stuff and I don't talk very well, right? Like I'm slow of speech, my tongue, I, something's wrong with my tongue. And God says this. He says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. See, Moses says, I'm not adequate enough, and God says, you know what? It's okay, because I am. I am. Gideon, I'm not strong enough. Well, this is what God says. I'll be with you a constant theme right I'm not enough God says I'll be with you Jeremiah he says I'm too young I'm not experienced enough I haven't lived life long enough you know what God says he says this he says don't say I'm too young you must go to everyone I send you to say whatever I command you don't be afraid of them why because I'm with you and I will rescue you declares the Lord The centurion, he said, I'm not worthy enough to have Jesus under my, I'm not worthy enough to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus hears this and he says to them, he turns to the crowds and he says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. This is a Roman centurion. And Jesus turns to all these Jewish Israelites and says, look, I've not seen faith like this in me, even among my people, See, he feels unworthy, but Jesus praises his faith in him. The woman. Our heart breaks, right? Untouchable for 12 years. Unclean for 12 years. Unacceptable. Not enough to be in the presence of Jesus face to face. So I've got to weasel through a crowd and clipped the corner of his coat? And this is what Jesus does. He looks at her, and you've got to just imagine the face that Jesus looked at her with. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, this woman was unclean to society, but she wasn't unclean to Jesus. She was unacceptable to society, But not to Jesus. Not only does Jesus heal her, he picks her up. A crowd of people, she's probably not had this much attention in 12 years. In front of everybody, Jesus looks at her. You got to think, Jesus is only looking at her. And what does he say? He calls her a daughter. I'm not acceptable enough. Jesus says, You're my daughter. You're my daughter. It's not what you do, it's whose you are. It's not what you do, it's whose you are. See, in every single one of these instances, and we could go on and on with the Bible, but in every single one of these instances, God is saying this, he's saying, you don't have to be enough because I am. You don't have to be enough because I am. I'm enough, God says, for you and me. God is enough for us. It's not what we do. It's whose we are. God brings us into his family and says, daughter and son, you're mine. See, that not enoughness that you feel, that I feel, It shouldn't point us to trying to to be something. It shouldn't point us to trying harder, doing more, saying more, being enough. Now, what it should do is it should point us to what we were made for, who we were made for, to be in a perfect, eternal relationship with God because of Jesus. See, you don't have to be enough because God is enough for you. God is enough for you. So we're gonna we're gonna close. Cool. We're gonna close, but I want to close a little bit differently than we normally do. Music team, you guys can come back in a couple minutes. um, They're gonna lead us in a song that that we sing all the time here at Veritas called "Gyra," Um, and it's a great song. And it's kind of a funny name though, right? Like Jireh, what is that? Well, here's what it is. It comes from uh, Old Old Testament passage, Genesis 22. And and, uh, we don't really have time to look at the passage, but uh, suffice it to say that the point of this particular passage where this name is derived from is that God is a provider. God provides. And in many ways... That idea that God is a provider, that that God is a God who provides, that's a summary. There are a lot of different ways to summarize the Bible. but, But that God is a provider, that God provides, it's a summary of the entire story of the Bible. Because in an ultimate sense, the way that God provides is by sending his son Jesus to be enough on our behalf. See, that's why Jesus came, to be enough on our behalf so that we could be in a right relationship with God. And so what we're going to do before we sing, before we respond with the wonderful lyrics of that song to what I've been saying tonight, we're just going to dim the lights. And the music team's going to play behind me. And I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. I just want to create some space. I want to make sure that we don't rush past. Too many of us feel this way to just rush past this. So I want to take a moment and, and I just want to for you in the privacy of your own head and heart I just want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to guide a conversation between you and God. So let, let me do that now. I want you to ask yourself what is it that you fill the blank in with, when you hear that response, I'm just not blank enough, what is it for you? What's, What's coming to mind as you hear that question, I'm just not blank enough, what is it? I want you to name it. I want you to tell God, God, this is how I feel. And then I want the beauty of these words to rush over you. God says to you, you don't have to be enough because I'm enough on your behalf. I want you to feel the significance of that statement. is enough for you. It's not what you do, it's whose you are. I want you to ask yourself, where are you, where are you trying to be enough apart from God? If you're honest with yourself, what's going on in your life right now where where you're just kind of, yeah, I want to do what I want to do. I want to make my own choices. I want to embrace the idea that I'm the only one that gets to say what makes me happy and who I'm going to be. Where are you trying to fill that hole, to fill that void of not enough apart from God? What needs to change in your life? to change in your life? Who do you need to let into your story? Who do you need to have a conversation with? Who do you need to be honest with? What needs to change in order for you to see that you can't be enough apart from God? You won't be enough apart from trying to be enough apart from God. All it does is lead to destruction. Jesus, I thank you that it's not what I do, but who's that I am. It's not what we do, but who's we are. We are yours, and you're enough. Amen.